There's something creeping curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, we're getting very quickly towards the end of the year. We're now in the month of September and another Sky Guide's on its way. And I can only do that with the help of Russ Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing, sir? Hello, hello. Very good. Dark skies are coming. Yes. Yeah, just a month away. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, it's going to seem so long. The question is, did anyone see any Perseids? Any other meteor shower last month? I personally didn't. Ah, oh, you let me down now. The problem is where I live, I'm, I'm right on the edge of a flight plan for Luton Airport. So I'm constantly seeing planes going over at night. So you look at it and go, ooh, it's an easy jet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, from what I've heard, I think because uh, it was meant to peak the two nights, wasn't it? And I think they said the 12th was going to be the better one. If, from what I saw, I mean, I went out on the 12th and the sky was all right. I got about three or four hours worth clear sky. So I was pretty lucky. I was pretty good. Saw quite a few. But it sounded like the night before was actually more. And what I heard was I think Will, our astrophotographer, went out and he saw a load that night. And other people were saying, oh, they're everywhere. But it was cloudy for me that night, so I couldn't go. But lucky the next night was okay because I've, I've only ever tried taking pictures of meteors once or twice once in my phone the year before the year before and then last year I tried with my camera and I got a little one and I was quite proud so I was kind of playing around more with the camera than actually looking up <laughs> which I was kind of a bit like oh I want to see them but I also want to try and get a picture of one and it sounds like I think uh, Will told me that they he actually looked on the NASA because they have a camera up that kind of like records how many there are Mm -hmm. And they said that even NASA's camera thing only kind of recorded like 88 or something, even though that's quite high. I, I saw probably about 30, 40, something like that. So it sounded like it tailed off quite quickly to the next day. Well, it did where I was anyway. It might have been the cloud or something. But I did manage to get a picture of one. I was really pleased with it. Every, every time I put the camera up and like, get exposure right, yeah, what about eight seconds to 10? Yeah, about 10 seconds on, go. And I made it so that it would do nine shots because I haven't got one of those special intervolator or something like that. Stick it in the camera and it will just make your camera take a picture every sort of like two seconds or every 10 seconds. It'll just keep going until it to stop. My camera doesn't have the capacity to do that for some reason. They've, just, they've taken it out of it. So I realized that you can do nine shots on a timer. So that's what I did. I said, around, right, we'll give it a two second timer and it'll do nine shots and you have a two second gap in between each so i was like oh, i can press it run away have a look up and it's brilliant because i was every time i put the camera up to look at the certain part of the sky because i haven't got a wide angle lens i have now i went out and bought one <laughs> but i looked at this certain part of the sky and literally to the left of it all the meteors would go and i missed them all so i'd move it to the left then it'll be to the right then it'll be behind me so i was sitting there going every time i put it in a certain area i'm missing them which is what happened last time, to be fair. Which is why you need a nice wide one. But then I thought, right, I'm going to go here. There seems to be a few coming down by this tree line. Zoom out as much as I can. Bang, one went straight in the middle of it. But I couldn't touch the camera because it was halfway through. And I was thinking, please say you got it. Please say you got it. And there it was. So I'll have to send you the picture so the uh, guys can see it. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, I'll send you all three because I've got one that I use on my phone. One which is my first ever go over camera. And then this one. So you can see how you can improve. Mm -hmm. Because trust me, I am not 
camera savvy. <laughs> I know how to use one. I've had a play, but I've never played around with all the settings and things like that. So if I can do it, easy peasy. I was going to set up my new phone. It can do super slow-mo. Mm. And um, I haven't quite worked out how to do it yet. So... I was going to just put it on a tripod and just leave it on super slow-mo for an hour or something and see what it goes. Yeah, I didn't think of doing that. That could work. So I've got slow-mo and super slow-mo, so you've really got to stick it up there for a few hours to get anything on that. So I know you can get... Uh, there's, a, there's a few couple of apps that you can get on your phone which has, like, meteor modes on. So you literally just press it, turn it up at the sky, press the button... And it just kind of just keeps taking long exposure shots until you get one, hopefully. That seems to work. That's pretty good. I think I just call it Nightcap now. I think they've taken away the Pro because I don't think they have a free one now. <laughs> so it's just Nightcap. And there is another one for Android, but I can't remember what it's called. I'll have to send you it in the notes for you. Definitely. See what, what it's all about. There's all sorts of types in there you can do. It's not just Meteor Mode. You've got Star Trails, Higher Exposure, all these sort of things. You can play around with the ISO and things like that. So you can use it on anything, really. Like you said, the moon was quite bright the other night when you were trying to take a picture. Mm -hmm. You could probably drop the exposure down so that it brings out, you know, it doesn't make it as bright and you might be able to see some details. I've done that and that seems to work. The pro mode on this is, is actually quite good. I wanted to get one like that, but I was like, I need just one camera to put through my telescope rather than six. <laughs> yeah, my one's got uh, three different lenses. So you've got standard lens, a telephoto lens and an ultra wide. And it's got a, a really weird selfie mode for the front camera, which gives you sort of really high definition uh, selfies. Of your own face? Yeah. I imagine that's horrible. I'd hate to <laughs> see everything. Ugh. It might be good for doing uh, maybe like insects and bugs and stuff or close up things you could have a go. Yeah, you could do that kind of thing with it. Instead of seeing all the mites on our faces. <laughs> As I mentioned to you off air, I'm going away for a few days soon and um, hoping to play around with the phone a bit then and see what I can come up with. Being by the coast, I mean, we can go, get away from the, the hustle bustle uh, and see what you can get because there's quite a few like country parks and stuff. Hopefully, you can get some good night shots. Cool. Well, as you know, I'll be doing a guide to September in a bit so you'll know what's up. Yeah, definitely. So if we take a short break there and when we come back, we'll go straight into the guide that Ross just mentioned. Today, we live in one of the most exciting times in history for space travel and discovery. Missions like NASA's New Horizons and SpaceX's Dragon are expanding our knowledge of how far humans can reach into the universe, from sending satellites into deep space to potentially living on Mars. Inspired by recent discoveries of ancient solar systems and innovations in spaceflight vehicles, the World Space Week Association is planning for the largest space week since its United Nations Declaration in 1999. Organizers and scientists alike hope this focus on discovery will foster discussions about the benefits of advancing space technology and where humans should explore next. I just see it uh, as a beginning. Uh, not just this flight, but in this program, which has really been a very short piece of human history. An instant in history. 
But this instant is gearing up to be one of the most influential and innovative in all of history for science beyond our planet. And this Space Week, we get a front row seat to take part in these activities. Space exploration and research back here on Earth is not just an endeavor for a few. It brings together the best and brightest of all nations and millions of fascinated Earthlings to wonder, work together, and innovate. Third Rock Radio, America's space station. Its ongoing mission, explore new worlds of music. Tell the story of those who fly, build, and dream. Rock Radio from Space. Streaming live from thirdrockradio.net. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. So, Ross, September. What's it all about? Well, it's a great month for me because it's my birthday, but that's enough about me. <laughs> but let's talk about the September sky. So it starts off straight away on the 1st. So if you missed all of last month's sort of Jupiter moon transits, because there was a lot because Jupiter was at uh, opposition then, which meant you saw loads of moons going across its surface and shadows of them. So don't worry if you did, because at the start of this month, it kicks it off with another nice and early morning. You've got Callisto, which is Jupiter's dead moon, and it's one of the most heavily cratered objects in our solar system, funnily enough. I reckon the moon might be close to that one as well, maybe. Uh, it's going to transit the planet, and it's going to be around about 2.33am, so it is another early morning sort of one. And it's going to be set in just before the transit ends, so Jupiter's going to set just before it happens. So 2.33, till when it sets or the sun comes up, go out there, see if you can see Callisto going across. I think there's a couple more because, as we said, it's still kind of at opposition, so have a look at Jupiter. If you've got a telescope, even binoculars, you'll be able to see its four moons. Go out, have a peek at it. You might be able to see a little shadow or a moon going across it. If we move on to the next day on the second, go to the moon, and it's going to happen around about one in the morning, just after. What's going to happen is as the moon slowly moves across the sky, a star is going to be behind it or to its left and it's slowly going to cover it. It's going to disappear behind it around about 1.12 a.m. and it's going to reappear on the other side about 2.04. So that's very specific times, but it does depend on the location of where you are in the country. So if you're higher north or south, it does actually change what you're seeing in the sky and the timing. So look around about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, something like that. You should see this star hopefully disappear. And it's called an occult, really. So it's, it's kind of occulting the star. It disappears behind it. So that's something cool you might be able to see if you're out peering at Jupiter on the second. If we move on to the third, if you missed yesterday's occult, there's another one this morning. So don't worry if you did and it was cloudy. Around about 3.41, another star will disappear behind the moon, reappearing at around 4.38. So you've got a second chance to see this cool sort of phenomenon that happens as the moon moves across our sky, seeing a star disappear behind it. Now if we move on to the fourth, this morning's thin crescent moon is not going to be far from the, a really cool binocular object called the Beehive Cluster or Presepi. It's in Cancer the Crab and it's just full of all different coloured and aged stars. It's a really nice big cluster to get your binoculars on. Cancer the Crab is almost like an X in the sky. Right in the middle, it's there. You can't miss it. 
and hopefully with sort of like a thin crescent moon shouldn't wash it out too much so it's a good opportunity to either get a picture of both of them if you're into astrophotography together or just pop out and see where it is look around where the moon is on the 5th and as I said as Jupiter is only just past its opposition last month we're still getting some really good views and transits of it so make sure you have a look so tonight there's going to be one of Europa the frozen moon which is all full of ridges and cracks in its ice it's going to transit the planet around about 11.12pm so slightly more reasonable time this time 11.12pm that night it's then going to be followed by its shadow just after midnight so you'll see the planet Europa go across and then its shadow will follow afterwards, so you'll get to see both there. If you stay up a little bit later, you'll then see Ganymede, the largest moon in our solar system, is going to start its journey across the planet around about 2 in the morning. They say about 3 minutes past 2, with its own shadow then following again at 3.47am. So you've got a nice hour or half there to go and see the moon and the shadow going across. Now it's said that Ganymede is the only moon with its own sort of magnetic field that can actually cause aurora like ours on Earth. They said that all the other moons out there don't seem to have any you know, activity going on to create magnetic fields. This one does. So you never know, in the future we might get some cool pictures of aurora on Ganymede. Moving on to the sixth. It's a great chance to spot a very thin 1% crescent moon. It's about an hour before sunrise. So be careful when looking near the sun, as always, don't look at it, it's going to hurt your eyeballs. It will be to the left of the bright blue star Regulus, which is in the constellation Leo, which is the lion. And it's also known as the Harbinger of Spring, or the King's Star. King's Star because it's Regulus, meaning regal. And the Harbinger of Spring because it kind of starts rising up springtime, and our ancestors could see it there and go, Oh, that's Regulus, that means spring even though probably we could have felt that the weather had changed and it was actually getting warmer and also all the plants start growing. But it's there and it's in the sky and it's something cool you can see. Move on to the seventh. There's also another opportunity to spot the thin crescent, but this time it's in the more friendly hours of the afternoon rather than yesterday's early morning one, as it has now passed to the other side of the sun, setting about half an hour after it. So you've got loads of time you can pop out there, have a little look, see if you can see it as it's setting. Really thin crescent moon. It does look quite cool in the sort of sunset skies. Now onto the ninth, and this evening the moon is now not going to be far from the planet Venus. If you haven't seen Venus yet and you haven't managed to go out and view her, Goddess of Beauty, go out and have a look now because it'd be a great opportunity. The moon will be near her. You'll see the big white blob there and you'll be like, ah, that must be Venus. She's really bright. Now, she does spin the opposite way to all the other planets. There's a little fact for you. And a day there is longer than a year. So it spins so slowly and the wrong way that actually takes more time to spin around once than it does to do our orbit around the sun. So have a think about that as you look up at the awesome planet in the evening sky. You may spot another bright star that's up there. It's called Speaker, and it's just below left of the moon, and it will create a kind of nice triangle between the moon, Venus, and the star. So you have a nice triangle in the afternoon sky. Now, this is a little bit more for the professional astronomers in you, or someone who just fancies a go like me. On the 11th, if you fancy an asteroid hunt, two Pallas reaches opposition today in the constellation Pisces, which is the fishes. It is said to be able to spot even with just binoculars, but you will need an app or to star hop to find it, because really all you're going to see is a sort of white dot amongst all the stars that will move each night. And that's the asteroid. It is one of the largest around the same size as the UK. And yeah, you can pop out in the sky, have a look there, see if you can see the white dot. 
is kind of in the middle of nowhere, so it isn't going to be an easy one to find. But as I said, grab a magazine like Sky at Night, Astronomy Now, something like that. They have how to find it in there. I'll put it in the notes for you as well here, so hopefully you'll be able to find it. And then you just have to star hop around, and there it is, an asteroid. You can say, yes, I saw an asteroid in the asteroid belt. the 13th this is one for the telescopes if you pop your scopes on the moon see if you can spot the lunar x and lunar v we have talked about this before it's kind of across the terminator i'll be back where the shadowy part is and it's where the sun sort of glints off the top of the mountains and craters in that area and it creates some illusions like the x and v so if you look at down the shadow as you go you should see a little glint in x and a little sort of i think it might be a sideways v Look there, see if you can spot them. Something cool on the moon. Moving on to the 14th, and it's now time for a bit of Mercury spotting, because it reaches its greatest eastern elongation this evening, which means it's pretty much a great time to see it, because it's the furthest point it goes up away from the sun before it starts moving back in orbit towards it. Now, it's not the best one for the month. It's going to be setting about 20 minutes after the sun does, so you've only got really a small window there to see it and you're going to need a low horizon. Mercury's quite small, in fact it's only just kind of bigger than our own moon, so for us to actually be able to see it out in the sky that far away, it's a little white blob. It's quite cool, so pop out, see if you can see it. Then later on in the night we've got Neptune, the god of the sea, is also reaching opposition. So tonight is a good time to have a look, best probably after about 9pm. You will need a telescope to see this one. The later you get in the night the better because the skies will be darker. So after 9, 10, 11, 12 that would be cool, it would be nice and dark, you've got more chance to find it. It is positioned in between Aquarius and Pisces. Again, two palaces kind of above right of it. So if you couldn't find two palace, if you find Neptune, have a look at above right of it, you might be able to see it there. Kind of in the middle of nowhere, so you're gonna have to star hop using apps and different little things, but you can easily find it, it'd be quite good. So the last planet in our solar system, you can go and have a look at and find and hunt for. Now on the 15th, nice easy one. You can see the moon, Saturn and Jupiter in a sort of afternoon evening sky. Gonna make a really nice sort of curved line down towards the setting sun. So that's a really nice one just to pop out and have a look. If you've got a telescope or binoculars, pop them on them. You'll see Saturn's rings, you'll see Jupiter and its four moons. So hopefully it'll be a nice clear evening for you. Right back to the moon on the 17th and it's going to be sat in between now the planets Jupiter and Saturn. So instead of being in a line like on the 15th, it's going to be in between them. Saturn's going to be up to its top sort of right and Jupiter is going to be to its left. And there will be another transit. So if you can see where Jupiter is and you find it, there's another transit tonight and it's Callisto's shadow this time. And it's going to start going across the planet around 11.43 and cross across couple of hours I'd say until it disappears again. So go out there, find Jupiter, find Saturn and have a look if you're still up and see the transit. The 20th, it's a nice full moon which is not great for astronomers because it washes out all the other objects we want to see but this moon is known as the harvest moon as it is the closest full moon to our autumn equinox. 
So this kind of used to give farmers the sort of cue to start harvesting their crops and start thinking, all right, we need to bed in for the winter now, start storing it all away. On the 22nd, the actual season of autumn starts. So as the sun crosses the celestial equator on this day, good news for us astronomers, as the dark skies are coming, maybe not for other people, because it means it's going to get colder and, you know, not as fun. Learn to do astronomy, because then you'll enjoy it and you'll love the dark nights. So that's the autumn starts on the 22nd. Moving on to the 27th, and this is something for the keen-eyed astronomer. So if you can find Jupiter in the daylight, which is quite difficult, but it can be done, around about 3.49 p.m., you may see a shadow transit of the moon Ganymede. Now, a go-to scope will probably help a lot more here because they kind of find the planet themselves. You just key it in and go, da -da, there you go, where is it? Scope will go and find it itself. So if you've got one of them, have a look during the day, see if you can do it again. Be careful not to get it on the sun because that will really hurt. So it's possible to see an actual transit in the day on Jupiter. So that's everything for the actual dates of the month. Now, as you know, we always like to throw in a naked eye object, a binocular object and a telescope object for you to try and find just for fun each month. So I've gone for the naked eye object being Cygnus the Swan. It's nice and high this time of year which is the best place to look straight up because that's where you get looking through less atmosphere and it's darker up there because the sun's down and skirts around the earth. Now it's a swan flying through the Milky Way. So pop out after it gets dark and look straight up above you. If clear enough, you may make out a slight milky band going across and that's our galaxy. Well, one of its arms that's spreading out across in front of us. You'll probably notice there's a big bright blue star that's Vega. That's not where we're looking, but it does give you a little clue to where you can look for to find Cygnus. So to the left of Vega is a star called Deneb and that's the tail of the swan. If you move to the right, you should spot a yellower star called Sadra, S-A-D-R. This is the body of the swan. Below that are three stars, and above that are three stars in sort of two lines, up and above and below. There it's wings, so it's like its wings spread out across the Milky Way, across the night sky. Two more stars to the right, so from Sadger again, go back to the middle one, and that means you've gone down the swan's neck, and you'll be sitting at Alberio, its head. Now this is a famous double star, so if you do have a telescope, even though this is meant to be naked eye, have a look there, because it looks really awesome for a telescope. Two different coloured stars and it's quite famous. So go out into your garden, look up, and see if you can see this sort of imaginary great swan gliding through the Milky Way, flying down and across the sky. It is quite big and it is really cool to see, especially if you've got a good imagination. So moving on to the binocular object, and we've gone for something called Kemble's Cascade which some people may know, and it's in a constellation called Camel Opardalis. And this is a giraffe, even though it sounds like it's a camel, it's actually a giraffe, and that's what the constellation represents. It's more of a modern one, so it's not really that well known. There are a couple of cool things you can spot with your binoculars, so have a little hunt around if you can. Now the constellation is pretty much kind of like three stars in a triangle. I believe it's actually five, but it looks like just a triangle. There is an extra star in the bottom line, and then there's a lone star that's been added to represent the giraffe's neck sort of top left. So it's a triangle with one line coming out of it. It can be found to the left of Perseus, so below left of Cassiopeia, which is the sort of sideways W in the sky. That's quite easy to find usually. So below left of that, you should find this. Again, an app will help because you can see where it is. It is a slightly dimmer one, but you can see it in your gardens. You should be able to. Now, if you have a peek around the bottom line of the constellation, so as I said, there's three stars that make a line there. 
where the middle star lies, look around there, or if you've got an app, look for NGC 1502. This is Campbell's Cascade, and it's like a cascade of stars all going like along there. I think it goes actually up through the constellation itself and down. Not sure if that's all of it, but there is like a flowing load of stars there. Really nice to see through binoculars. You're going to need a bigger field of view, which is why binoculars are great for it as opposed to a telescope. You won't be able to get them all in on a telescope. Now, while you're here, look around and see if you can spot a kite shape of stars. And that's known as Campbell's Kite, funnily enough. And that's slightly above right of the constellation. But that's not what we're talking about, but it's something there for you to look at. So a couple of cool things around a constellation you may not know. Now for our telescope object. Almost all of us have heard of Andromeda. It's the biggest galaxy and it's quite easy to find. You can see it in most skies just using your eye. But just below the actual constellation itself, Andromeda, you have a triangular constellation, which you guessed it, it's actually just three stars representing a triangle. But in between it and Andromeda, well Andromeda's star Mirac, which is its center sort of bright star, between that and the actual constellation, there's a great little galaxy to spot. And that's the Triangulum Galaxy, or M33. Now it's a spiral galaxy about 2.73 million light years from Earth, and the third largest member of the local group of galaxies, which is sort of like the big group of galaxies that we're in, and Andromeda, like a huge cluster and that's known as the local one. So pop out there and see one of our neighbors from your garden, even though it's quite far away. In stellar terms or universe terms, it's actually quite close to us. So instead of going straight for the big Andromeda galaxy, have a little look down further, maybe use an app, M33. See if you can see this cool little spiral called the Triangulum Galaxy. And that is everything for us this month. Awesome. Now, usually at this point, I ask you what uh, UK astronomy is up to, but it's a bit difficult for you at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast. I managed to hurt my arm. <laughs> so I fell over a wall, stupidly, and I've busted my arm. And we can't really... Well, I say we, the doctors and everything. At the moment, we can't really figure out what's wrong with it. So if I push down on stuff, it hurts. If I do certain movements, it hurts. If I drive, it hurts. So unfortunately, I won't be able to go out and do anything until it's fixed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm hoping it'll be fixed by October when it gets dark and I'll be able to go out and actually start doing some events again. And hopefully by then as well, we'll know how COVID is progressing, whether or not it's getting better or worse and whether we're going to have to have another lockdown or anything. But you know, keep positive. At least I can go out in my garden and have a look, eh? Definitely. Well, we have got something kind of in the pipeline for World Space Week because it's something we always feature on the podcast. And for two reasons, for both of us really, World Space Week 2014 was when we launched TGP Nominal. So it makes it easier for us to work out when our birthday is for the show because we launched it on World Space Week and is one of your anniversaries for uh, UK astronomy around that sort of time so we're kind of mixing it all together aren't we yeah my birthday is september and then uk astronomy was november so we're gonna have to kind of like do a, a middle meet in the middle in october in world yeah. space week so that's what we're planning to do and uh, basically just watch this space and uh, all will be revealed 
Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's always a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you for keep inviting me back. I don't know why you do, but every month I'm here for you. <laughs> do you know, John says exactly the same thing. Um, he? <laughs> he says you're just crazy enough to, to keep having me back. I keep, I keep trying to uh, <laughs> make a mess of things, but you keep letting me off the hook with my pronunciations of constellations <laughs> and stars and who knows. And with the names of things, I mean, I, I grew up calling things differently to how the astronomers do mainly because if you watch TV shows like the original Battlestar Galactica there's a lot of characters in there that are named after constellations and stuff and this is why I always call it Cassiopeia because there is a character in Battlestar Galactica called Cassiopeia actually one of Starbucks girlfriends if I remember rightly so when I hear professional astronomers actually call it Cassiopeia it's like uh, I don't know I, I still call it Cassiopeia <laughs> It's, it's all Latin and stuff anyway, isn't it? So it's probably not anything like we would have pronounced it now. Yeah, it's all Greek to me. Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all Roman to me. There are some that are Greek-based, but most of the things that you will find in astronomy are based around the, the Roman counterparts rather than the Greek counterparts. China, the Middle East, uh, the Egyptians, and then all these different names and things that all come together. It makes researching into astronomy quite interesting because of all the different cultures that are involved in the creation of modern astronomy. Yeah, so it's like you're trying to speak about five or six different languages when you're talking astronomy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if anyone asks me, do you speak any languages? I go, yes, astronomy. <laughs> so we will be back in October, definitely, for our World Space Week podcast. So we're probably going to include the Sky Guide in with that, plus other bits and pieces. We're not 100% sure what we're doing with it yet, but uh, it will all come together. It's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that leaves me with the thing that I always say at the end of each show, and that's thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. And I'll speak to you all again real soon. Clear skies, guys. And remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. Thank you.